I was stopped in my tracks by this verse that we're going to read in Philippians chapter 4, verse 2, because I'm like, wow, I mean, this made it in the Bible. I mean, it was like, and so then me being who I am kind of went back and did a little more research. But before we get too deep into it, this book of Philippians that we're going to be in today um, reflects a special relationship that Paul, the author, had with the church at Philippi. Um, He had a special affection for this church, I think, because it was the first church that he planted in Europe. Um, You may be familiar with a lady by the name of Lydia who got saved. She was one of the first converts, and she's a member of this church. Um, One of the most famous conversion stories took place in, in, in Philippi, and it was when Paul and Silas were in jail, and they were released from prison miraculously by an angel. And then the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved, right? And it was like a beautiful setup. And then Paul gave him the instructions, and, and he got saved in his, in his household. And so that happened all in, in Philippi. Paul is writing this letter from Rome. And you know what he's doing in Rome? He's in prison. And he has just received a gift from Epaphroditus, who was a member of the church at Philippi, and it was a financial donation or gift, and he is writing them, expressing not only thanks, but wanting to encourage them to maintain their unity. If I was there with you, this is what I would be telling you, but I can't be there, so get the best that you can out of what I'm trying to put in writing here. I'm writing this to you because I want to convey my thoughts to you. And my gratitude and, and, and my desire for you to live out whatever the kingdom of God is supposed to look like in the church of uh, Philippi. So he writes it to them as their, as their spiritual father, addressing some issues that he had been told about. And so in the midst of all of this, Paul addresses this known conflict that Epaphroditus must have told him. And in chapter 4, he's kind of winding the book down. He has this little parentheses almost, if you will, in chapter 4, verse 2, where he says this. He says, I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche. Like the way I said that? Like I've been practicing that all week. I was expecting a little bit more of an impressed response from you. But <laughs> that they, yeah, thank you. All right. That they be of the same mind in the Lord. And so I'm reading down through this, and I'm getting to later on in the chapter, you know, because that's where I'm kind of going with my message this week. And I just stopped here. I'm like, well, Eudius and, and Syntyche. So let me, let me do a little searching on that. So I went and I found, check out what their names mean. This is, and we're going to get into some serious speculation here that I'm not claiming is inspired or of God or nothing. It's just, it's one of those things I was like, well, I'd be cool. So Eodius, if you look at the word Eodius, where this gal got her name, it was actually from the word Eodia, which means successful or prosperous. Literally translated, it means fragrant, like a blessing, like somebody that people would want to be around. Right? She walks into a room and everybody likes her. She's whatever her hand finds to do. It's, it's, it's like it's successful. She's a success at whatever it is. Now, again, humor me. This is complete speculation. But I picture Eodius as a successful, prosperous, well-off 
person in the church. Maybe she had a successful business. Maybe her husband was successful. Maybe she came from a wealthy family. I don't know. But it seems kind of cool that that's what her name means, right? So continuing that vein of thought, uh, syntyche means an accident or chanced together or someone who has helped along. We all know those, don't we? Someone in your life that you're always help pick it, get it, you know. And if you can translate that, good luck. But it's like, you know, you're always trying to help. So you have, you have Ionius that, and let's just, again, you know, this, let's just bear with me here. This is all speculation. But if Ionius was this woman in the church that was very successful, and then you had Syntyche who always had to be helped out, all right, just the opposite Maybe a poor person, maybe maybe uh, someone who always needed help. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether they came from different social backgrounds or economic backgrounds or social circles, or maybe they just had very different personalities. I don't know. Maybe it had nothing to do with finances. Maybe one was just very confident in life, and the other one always had to be complimented. Right? I mean, it just we don't know what the issue was. But what is so incredibly absent from this passage is what the point of contention was between these two. And I'm sitting here wanting to know what the issue was between these two ladies, and Paul never tells us, probably because it didn't matter, because the issue was not the issue that Paul was trying to address. But we get wrapped up in the issue, don't we? We feel the need to take sides, and we feel the need to figure out who was right, and we want to know exactly what, what has more merit, which side has more merit. I don't know. And Paul didn't seem to feel like it was important enough to educate us on what the issue was because he wasn't wanting us to focus on it. He was wanting to focus on it. Be of the same mind. Because your problem, your issue, is affecting those around you. And get this. I mean, here's what's... Their argument made it into the Bible. I mean, it was significant enough that Paul addresses it. And if you read the book of Philippians, you're like, man, this is such a wonderful book. It's all full of joy, and it's all full of compliments and encouragement and all of that. And then he nails these two women right here, and it's like, wow, it must have been an issue that was well-known, and everybody knew about it. I also find it strange that he, he doesn't just say one or the other needs to behave a certain way. And he doesn't take sides, and he doesn't say this one was right and this one was wrong, or this one was, and by the way, there's always right and wrong on both sides. It's just a matter of percentages. You know, you may be 53% right, and the other one's only 47%. There's generally right and wrong on both sides. But he doesn't take sides. He doesn't say, no, he addresses both of them and says, listen, ladies, be of the same mind in the Lord. Just, 
I'm not even going to address what the issue is, and I'm not going to take sides, and I'm not saying that Syntyche, and I'm not saying that Iodius, you need to, no. He's, both of you need to have the same mind in the Lord. Well, that's easy, Paul, to say. But man, how do we get back to normal? How do we get back to just, it's okay between us? And that's the challenge, isn't it? It's like, it's like once you have a falling out or once you, you know, you see them down that aisle at the grocery store and you kind of go down the other aisle because you don't want to have that conversation or that, you know, you don't want to have that awkwardness. How do you get back to normal? And I'm not going to give you like a bunch of how-tos here. What I'm going to give you is this overarching thought process that needs to change how we look at our relationships. And if you were in the church of Philippi and you had received this letter from Paul, remember there weren't like chapters and verses when he wrote it. It was like, you know, uh, perhaps like on some, on some parchment paper or some papyrus paper. And, and it was like maybe wrapped up in a scroll and it was just all one big long letter. And as they got to this point, can you imagine like being in the congregation and Epaphroditus is reading this letter from Paul. All right, Iodius and Syntyche. And everybody went, I know who they are. Kind of an awkward moment for those two. Be of the same mind. Be like-minded. What I think it might have done was it might have reminded them of what Paul had said earlier in that book, in that letter. And that was in what we call chapter 2. Verse 2, he says this, Fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded. The same exact word, autos, as we found in chapter 4, verse 2, that he was asking the ladies to be. He said, Fulfill you my joy, that you be like-minded. And then he goes a little bit further, having the same love, being of one accord, and one mind. Well, Paul, that's beautiful. But what does that look like? All right, let me tell you what that mind is. It's the mind of Christ. And he goes on just a little bit further in chapter 2, and he says this, let this mind, remember the same mind we're supposed to have, like-minded? Let this mind, this is the mind. So I don't want you both to have Syntyche's mind, and I don't want you both to have Iodius' mind. I want you to have whose mind? Let this mind be in you, the mind of Christ. All right, now let me explain to you what that mind of Christ was, what the, what our, how our thinking process should look like. So it says this, who, Jesus, being in the form of God. Uh, by the way, let this mind be in you. You know what that means? It's a decision. Let. You can either decide to have the mind of Christ or you can decide to stay angry. You can decide to have the mind of Christ or you can continue to pout and avoid and talk about. You can decide to have the mind of Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and then here we go, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness 
of men. And then it continues. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, let me tell you, church of Philippi, if you'll have the mind of Christ, you'll have a lot fewer conflicts. So let's break this down just a little bit because I want you to kind of get a better understanding of what this mind of Christ is that we're supposed to have. So we are going to dig down just a little deeper and we're going to uncover some nuggets out of these verses. That's, it's just going to take us four or five minutes, but I just want you to understand the four things that Paul mentions here that was the mind of Christ. So, so what was the mind that was in Christ that Paul references that we're supposed to have so that we can be like-minded? Well, first of all, Christ made himself of no reputation, right? No reputation. <laughs> That's a powerful word. More powerful, I believe, in the original Greek that this was written in than what we use it as. Because reputation is just what people think about us, right? But the word made himself of no reputation, that word is the word kenosis, or kino, o, in the Greek. And if you're familiar with that, it talks, what, what it, there's such depth of meaning there, because what it meant literally was that Christ emptied himself of himself. He comp- <laughs> When he says he made himself of no reputation, he emptied himself of himself to become like us. That's a huge sacrifice. So here you have God himself emptying himself of himself and limiting himself to live in a body like we live in. I don't understand all that. But it was more than just what people thought about him, like with his reputation. There was so much more to it. He emptied himself of himself. And I think we could all use a lot less of ourselves. Because we're full of ourselves. And that causes, we're full of a lot of other things too. But that we are full of ourselves, and that causes so many problems in our relationships. And Paul is saying, you don't get it. The issue is not the issue. The issue is that you're both full of yourself, and you need to empty yourself of your own reputation. So what else was the mind of Christ like? Well, he became a servant. It's the Greek word doulos, and it means devoted to another to the disregard of your own interests. That's pretty huge. So you're putting the needs of other people in front of yourself on purpose. That's becoming a servant. And then the Bible says that Christ humbled himself. This blows me away. He was the God of the universe. And he humbled himself. And here's what that word literally means. It means it has a military connotation that you're willing, you're at this rank, and you're willing to take your rank down to here on purpose because you're able to do a greater good at this rank than this rank. Do you see where ego is like gone here? 
and pride is out the window, whatever it takes, whatever I need to be to make it happen is what I'm willing to become. God Almighty became flesh so that he could have this relationship with you and I. He humbled himself. He lowered his rank so he can reach you and I. And then the Bible says he became obedient unto death. And the idea there is more than just doing what you're told. It's listening carefully to find out what I'm supposed to do. It's like you're bending the ear. You're leaning over, trying to get the command of what you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to live your life. So I think, thank you for the clarification, Paul, of what the mind of Christ was. And I think that if we were to implement the mind of Christ, we'd have a lot fewer conflicts, don't you? Because here's a great verse in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10. It says that only by pride. What we want to do is we want to put in there only by the stupid opinions of other people come contention. Because of the, the irrational ideas of the other side comes contention. No, only by pride comes contention. And then that verse goes on to say, but with the well-advised is wisdom. In other words, you're not seeing the whole picture here. You're just, hey, you have tunnel vision, and it's my way or the highway. Bye. It's like we just have this, we just allow pride to hurt so many relationships. And Paul is saying, the opposite of pride is the mind of Christ. And whatever the mind of Christ is, if you begin to implement some of the characteristics that, that Jesus Christ was our example in, I promise you, Iodius and Syntyche, you're going to have a like-mindedness, and the church is going to be healthy. And so will your relationship. Jesus had every right to have a high opinion of himself. He was God. But he knew that there was something at stake that was much greater than all that he was giving up. Jesus knew that what he would gain was more valuable to him than what he had. Now, I, don't, I can't even fathom that statement. He was God. And he gave all of that up because what he was going to gain was greater than all of that. Can you even wrap your brain around that? That everything that he was and everything that he had was not as valuable as what he was going to gain. And what was that? What was he going to gain by giving all of that up and coming to earth and humbling himself and being obedient unto death, he was gaining you. Man, I don't even understand that. That you are that valuable to him. It's not that I don't think you're valuable. I don't understand how we collectively are valuable enough. So what it tells me is that Iodius and Suntiki allowed their disagreement to become greater than their relationship. And yet the mind of Christ says, 
the relationship is greater than whatever the disagreement is. Whatever the obstacle is to reunify and correct that relationship is worth sacrificing because relationships matter more. I mean, how many stories have we heard where parents get angry at their children because of the decisions that they make? And they say things or they do things that damage the relationship. And I'm not saying we shouldn't correct behavior. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have an opinion about things. I'm just saying that the relationship matters more. Beodius, get the mind of Christ. Humble yourself. Become a servant. Make yourself of no reputation. Become obedient. Syntyche, same thing. Take the mind, get the mind of Christ because relationships matter more. Doesn't it strike you odd that the issue was never even mentioned? But that's, that's what was all consuming with these ladies. And that's what's all consuming with you too. Because whatever it is that has created a conflict between you and somebody else is all you think about, and you're completely justified because you're right, and they're wrong, and you're smart, and they're stupid, and how can anybody believe what they believe? But that's not the issue. The relationship matters more. The relationship that you have with somebody else matters more. Relationships are greater than your reputation. Relationships are greater than being right. Relationships are greater than getting your own way. Let me just, let me just ask you to do this. Will you try to put it into practice? Will you just see if Jesus is right? <laughs> Instead of sitting here justifying your anger... And saying, this is too hard. Why don't you just try it with one relationship that you have and humble yourself, lower your rank, get get over yourself and just be humble and get the mind of Christ and treat them the way Jesus has treated you by being willing to give up everything that he had to gain what he wanted, and that was you. Because to us, relationships aren't that important. That's the problem. But the older I get, the more I realize relationships matter more. Listen, I've, I've, I've done things and I have said things in my life that I'm embarrassed about. I've treated people in such a way that I am embarrassed that I did that. And if I got a do-over, I would do it over. And you know what I just, I'm realizing the older I get, (laughs) that there's just, a lot of this stuff doesn't matter. It's just, it's it's all a smokescreen. It just doesn't matter enough to hurt the relationship. Relationships matter more. 
because people matter more. And you matter to God. And if you matter to God, that means the person you're against matters to God. And now I suggest that you pray and ask for the mind of Christ and ask Him to help your heart and your mind to see others the way that He does and that they're valuable and they're worth more than your disagreement. They are worth more than your opinion and they're worth more than your relationship. Just let God take care of them. Let God deal with it. And it's, listen, it's hard as a parent. Because you've been down that road, right? And you sometimes know the decisions they're making are wonky. It's a great word that Dawson taught me. I think he made it up. But it's a great word. But you know what? I made wonky decisions too. And I still make wonky decisions. I'm a wonky expert. And I'm grateful for the people in my life that are willing to maintain a relationship with me even though I walk sometimes. And that's what we need. We need relationships that are stronger than the issues. Because it doesn't matter as much as they matter. And you mattered so much to God that whatever it was that was separating you two was overcome. And he gave up everything who he was to get something he didn't have, and that was you. And that's the mind of Christ that we need to follow. There's a powerful truth in here, folks. And whatever it is and whatever relationships in your life that seem like they are on edge, it's not worth it to lose that and hurt that relationship. Let's pray. Father, we can't even understand or comprehend, my goodness, the the amount of love that you have towards us, and yet we take it so much for granted, and we are so unwilling to offer that very same love to somebody else. And I pray, Father, you would help us to reconnect with that love that you had for us and show it to somebody else. Jesus, we love you and thank you for loving us the way that we are, but not being satisfied with that, but wanting to make us more like your son, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.